All right, Heather. You don't get to pick a letter, so. You just wanted to make me think I would be able to pick a letter yeah. <laughs> just to tell me no Because this is just us tonight. This is just yes. us. And on top of that, this isn't a real episode. This is a bonus episode. Yes. I still I mean, haven't it's even. It's real, dis- but it's not a main. Yet. I still haven't even decided if our faces will be on YouTube for it. Mm. Yeah. You might be watching this on YouTube with that generic, hey, this is the episode background I've done before. Depends on whether or not I feel like editing it. So if you're watching this on YouTube, you'll know whether or not I felt like editing a video. (laughs) Yes. Because this is a bonus episode. Yes. It breaks all the rules, basically. It does. We're starting with spoilers. Then we're going spoiler free and then we're going recommendations and scores. (laughs) Really just any which way we want to do it. And in fact, the song I'm going to play is going to be the outro. It's not even going to be the intro. It's the outro. It's kind of like a memento style episode. Yeah, this is the rant at the end of the episode. Yeah, basically. Transition. Hey, Cine fans, and welcome back to another episode of the Cinema Slayers podcast. I'm Sterling, and as always, I'm joined by just Heather. As we go into this very special bonus episode, and we will be talking about what we liked, didn't like, and everything in between with the Netflix original series, The Fall of the House of Usher. We will go... Contrary to what I said before, we will go spoiler-free recommendations and scores and then into a more spoiler-centric section to allow you to jump around or with time codes in the description to allow you to jump around in both audio and video formats if you so require. And with all that, Heather, what are your spoiler-free thoughts about Mike Flanagan's Netflix original series, The Fall of the House of Usher? That's like a mouthful to say. It really is. It is when you've also got partially chewed almonds in your mouth, too, because I was a dumbass and ate my last three almonds during the intro song. <laughs> Not even at the beginning. I was like, oh, it's three quarters of the way done. Let me throw these almonds in my mouth real quick. And as soon as I started chewing, I was like, fuck me. I'm stupid. Um, so I I am pretty much a fan of anything Mike Flanagan that I've seen. I haven't necessarily seen everything he's done. Uh, there are a couple of his movies I think that I haven't seen, but as far as his shows go, I have seen all of his shows and I'm a fan of him. I, I really enjoy his, his work a lot. So I was looking forward to this before it came out. And when I saw the cast, which is mostly people he's had in all of his other stuff, you know, I was on board for it. Um, I, I, I wasn't, and I will say this, like, I'm not like the most familiar with Edgar Allan Poe's stuff. I know the, the basics. I know the main ones, the important ones, but some of these stories that they had in this, um, since it is sort of, you know, off of his work, I didn't really know the stories of. So there were some things I didn't really know how they were going to play out, 
but some of them I did. And in either case, I do, I, I would say I I did for the most part, I really liked this. I I like how they unfolded the story and it was kind of like a, a mystery in a sense, a mystery in reverse because we kind of find out some stuff up front and then we kind of get to play it backwards or in a way just sort of as the episodes go on, we get revealed what really actually happens to this family. So I like how they kind of unfolded everything. I like that because it's episodic, there's a different character they're focusing on every episode. And I thought that was really well done, but they're still encompassing the overall story of it in every episode as well. And yeah, I I just think that it was told really well. I think the writing of the script was good. Um, I I, I think the reason I like Flanagan as much as I do is because I really like the way that he writes about uh, like his ideas about death or spirituality or just things that, you know, are a little bit more profound and a little bit more up in the air that could be a good discussion with people. And, and he kind of talks about different aspects and different points that you can make in those areas in his work. And I feel like he does it in pretty much everything he does. So that's why I like it. And I think that that's kind of why it kind of makes sense that he would do an Edgar Allan Poe thing with it. Um, but yeah, I mean, I do think that there, I mean, it's not a perfect show and it's not even my favorite show that he's done, but I think it was unique. I think it was interesting. And I think even though I knew how some of this was going to play out, I did like the journey that we got when, when I was watching it, you know? So I, I do overall think that this was a pretty good, good show. And I mean, I might, I might call it top three of his for me, top three, top four, somewhere in there of, of his shows for me. Not that he has that many, but it's somewhere in there. Um, Doesn't he only have five? Does he? I thought he had like six. I don't know. What does he have? He has like, he has. House on Haunted Hill. Yeah. Bly Manor. Yeah. Midnight Mass. Uh Uh-huh. Midnight Club. Midnight Club. This one. I really thought there was one more. Bly Manor? Did we say that? I did. Oh, you did? Okay. I counted that one. Oh, never mind. Okay. Well, I'll give it, I'll give it top three then. I'll say top three of the five. I was going to say, it's got to be top five. <laughs> He's only got five. It's, def- it's definitely in the top five of his shows I've seen, but uh, I think I'd probably put it in the top three. I don't have necessarily a specific order, but I do think it's up there. It's it's one of, it's one of the ones I like that he did. Um, yeah. I, I don't know. Yeah. I would say probably top three. But overall, yeah, I think it was good, great acting, um, great writing, and yeah, it was overall really entertaining to see everything and how it unfolded. I agree with you for the most part. Uh, One of the things I, I slightly disagree with you about on this is the fact that I didn't completely love some of the aspects. Like I I did not completely love the fact that the episodes kind of gave away what the plot was of the episode. Like by knowing the title of the episode, you would kind of know what was going to happen during the episode. Like you knew it was going to end. And I kind of wish that there was a little bit more of a mystery to some of the episodes. Like instead of it being 
this is how it's going to end. You know? So I, I, I do wish that there were certain things like that that were better. I think the pacing was a little weak at times. I think, you know. Yeah, the, I can actually agree with that. Yeah, the way they drug out some of the story just to take some of these really short post stories and to drag it out to make it last for a whole episode and to tie it in with everything else. Like, it doesn't always mesh well together and it doesn't always uh, pay off completely whenever it comes to the pacing of it. But, I mean, the acting's really good. You know, at this point, anytime Mike Flanagan does anything, you just know who the cast is going to be. He only adds like two different people, you know, a uh, a series. But like, yeah, for the most part, you know exactly who the cast is going to be. It's typically a very rock solid cast. Don't really have any complaints about that. And the one thing that Mike Flanagan does do, I think better than a lot of people, especially when it comes to a slightly horror type of thing, is visually... No one creates a theme or a setting better than Mike Flanagan when it comes to this stuff. Just the yeah. way he'll, you know, the way he'll do lighting, the way he'll frame stuff, just the, the color palette that he'll use for certain shots and stuff like that. It really always plays well to the atmosphere that he's creating for this show or movie or yeah. whatever. You know, even right down to, uh, was it Dr. Sleep or Mr. Sleep? Oh, whatever the fuck that movie Dr. was. Dr. Sleep, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's the same thing. They're like some really just beautifully atmospheric shots. And also the way he frames villain characters. I love visually the way he frames the villain characters. Not to be very specific, but there's a shot at the end of this with Verna. And it's just her silhouette and it's glowing eyes. And it just really like brings home what she was. And whilst also... And it's something we'll talk about later. Is she really a villain? You know, she's the villain for the main characters, but is she technically a villain in terms of the story? You know, there's a lot of those elements to it. I mean, this this show does really hit the big, broad Edgar, uh, Edgar Allan Poe beats. It also brings in just characters from other stories, even if it's not completely like telling that story. It might use a character name from one story, telling the story arc of another story, you know, so there's like lots of Easter eggs of Edgar Allan Poe throughout this. And, you know, not all of it was lost on me, but then some of it was because, you know, I haven't read Edgar Allan Poe since I think like ninth grade. Same. Yeah. You know, so. Eh. I mean, some of it's cool, you know, when you're like, oh, I know what that story is. That's a cool thing, you know, but. Yeah. It also didn't make me want to go read Edgar Allan Poe. So, <laughs> yeah. Any of the stuff I missed. Probably not going to ever get. Right. Yeah. I mean, I do agree to like sort of what you were saying. Like, I, I feel like he's Mike Flanagan's very thoughtful. I feel like in his he's just very intentional with everything that he kind of puts on screen in front of you, but also very intentional in how he writes stories out. Like he's he's drawing out very specific things that he wants you to think about or specific things that he wants to tell you or say. And yeah, I just, I don't really feel like for the most part, some exceptions, I don't feel like he's usually sloppy with that stuff. Most of the time. Yeah. I (laughs) can agree with that. I mean, the overall concept and the overall story arc he was going for in this show, I do believe he succeeded in. You know, 
there's tons of Edgar Allan Poe stuff in it. And he's taking these individual stories and putting them in an overarching story that is also a Poe story, you know. So I, I, I like that blend of how he was able to do that. And, you know, it's going to take somebody like Mike Flanagan to do that, you know, to have that, you know, that, that attention and that intention with what they do. Yeah. Like I said, sometimes it just doesn't completely translate in regards of it's well-paced. You know, so there are just times when you're like, yeah, this this episode should have ended about six minutes ago. But they're dragging yeah. out this scene for whatever reason, you know. <laughs> yeah. But in the end, with that, I mean, I, I, I enjoyed it for the most part. I mean, I think it is a massive step up from, honestly, the worst show he did, which is Midnight Mass. Fuck everybody yeah. that likes Midnight Mass. And I know you like it, Heather. Sorry, I just <laughs> said fuck you. But yeah, fuck Midnight Mass. And it, it is solely because these people are just like, oh my God, this vampire is an angel. This obvious <laughs> vampire is yeah. an angel. And they spend the whole series just going, that's an angel. It's, it's doing nothing but vampire shit. It's not doing right. a single thing that angels do. Just doing vampire shit. It's an angel. And I'm just supposed to buy that. Like, oh. and see, that's where I kind of meant when I said, like, for the most part, he's not sloppy. And I don't even think he was sloppy. I feel like with that show in particular, the last two episodes, I feel like just didn't match with the tone or just the carefulness of every other episode of the show. If that makes sense. Like, cause I really enjoyed the whole aspect of in that show, like getting to know why the characters were there and just the conversations with the priests and like, you know, actually having the, the crisis of faith thing talked about in there. Like, I just thought that was really well done. And then in the last two episodes, Ooh. it just ramped it up to like a hundred with stuff that they, wasn't, you know, I, I agree. They are beautifully written characters. In yeah. MS. Beautifully written characters. They're also all dumb as bricks. <laughs> all, all of them just the stupidest yeah. people you will ever meet. Because they looked at a straight Nosferatu looking motherfucker and went, <laughs> angel, angel of God. <laughs> like I get the, the entire, the, essentially the premise of it is that this is theoretically a world in which there are no vampire stories. Like there's no vampire movies. There's no vampire stories that theoretically this yeah. is a world where this vampire's lived or whatever, and there's just nothing else. There's no media, no nothing. So nobody knows what a vampire is. But this is also our world in like what, what it came out in like 2021, 2020, 2021, somewhere in there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We know what vampires are. So that story is stupid. <laughs> I guess it's kind of equivalent to like in the walking dead when they just call them walkers. They don't really know what zombies are or refer to them as zombies. Really? Is it kind of, I guess it would be kind of the same thing as that, but I get, I get that, but they at least are using names that make sense. Walkers, yeah. biters, <laughs> dead guys. Angels, not one of them. In what universe is like, cause I know the whole biblical concept of an angel, like 
there's also a lot of people on TikTok. They're like, oh, the biblical concept of an angel would scare you. No, it wouldn't. Like there are also more than a vampire. <laughs> no, no. But it's, well, it's the, it's the true form of an angel or whatever. And they're like, oh, it's like a thousand eyes. It's like, no, that's actually a very specific thing. That's not technically all angels. Like it also does describe angels in the Bible as looking like people. So. Right. You know, yeah. not weird, but there's still no description of an angel. You can apply from anything in the Bible. That looks like that fucking thing. <laughs> Nothing. Yeah. There's you know. no positive connotation to go along with what that thing looked like. Yeah. <laughs> Just there wasn't. That thing looked like a monster. It did. Yeah. Yeah. I'm not and trying to body shame. Was... A little bit ugly though. <laughs> I mean, and I don't know if it was supposed to be like, because all those people had, in a sense, drank the Kool-Aid of what they were telling them that they just couldn't be convinced that it wasn't what the, the priest was telling him that it was. I don't know. But either way, I'm just like the only, there was one person, right? I think the, the one lady's mom, the one that the priest was like with at one point is the only one who was just like, nah, I'm out of here. Like, and the sheriff, but yeah, well, that was the one that knew him when he was younger. Yeah. 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 There's no one else. Yeah. But, but she at least was like, nope, I'm out of here. And the sheriff, the sheriff was only there because he was trying to save his son. But yeah. they were the only ones that like had any sense about, yeah, what is this? I, 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 I get what you're saying about the whole drink, the Kool-Aid thing, but that priest thought it was an angel. Yeah. Worst priest ever. And I can't say that. There's a lot of bad priests. I can't say that. <laughs> Scratch that. But, oh, terrible. Just terrible. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah. I mean, I I really liked Bly Manor. I really liked uh Haunted uh House on Haunted Hill. I like the movie The Haunting that's also based on The House on Haunted Hill. There's another movie, there's an older movie, The House on Haunted Hill. I really like that you know that story, so um there's also a version of it of like The Haunting of Hill House. There, there, there's yeah. there's still there's all kinds of movies that are based around that concept of the Hill House and stuff like that. I really dig it. I mean, scream uh not scream 2 uh Scary Movie 2, also based on The Haunting, mm. which is based on that. So, you know. I mean, I feel like it's almost like a unanimously his best show is Haunting of Hill House. I think unanimously. I think I don't know anybody who hasn't thought that. <laughs> but it's very, very good. And, yeah, I, I could see the argument for that. I mean, and it's almost like, and for me, like, I kind of have, I, I do agree with you. I think Midnight Mass is probably the weakest of his shows, in my opinion. But I also have a weird love for Midnight Club, and a lot of people weren't big on that one. I liked it a lot. I thought it was great. It, it's up there for me. But, yeah, I a lot of people are like, it's probably on, they think that it's probably his worst. But I don't, I don't agree with that. I don't know. I think I would rank it Hill House- and then probably Bly Manor and then this. Or actually, actually, I'm, I'm lying. For me, Hill House, Midnight Club, this, and then Bly Manor. But I do realize Bly Manor's better than Midnight Club. I just prefer Midnight Club, if that makes sense. Uh, Midnight Club, I think, was just a little too disjointed. You know? Mm -hmm. It comes across as like a weirdly adult version of Are You Afraid of the Dark? Yeah. And yeah. I think that 
you know, when everybody had seen so many of his other things and it was just like cohesive story and all this other stuff. And then all of a sudden, bam, like this, like, uh, it kind it was of, very different. Yeah. yeah. So I get that. I mean, I'd go Hill house. I'd go blind manor next. I'd probably go this midnight club, the midnight mass. Okay. That's fair. And, and the thing is like, I don't think any of them are bad. I just think, like, I mean, even Midnight Mass, aside from those last two episodes, <laughs> even Midnight Mass is better than a lot of other shows I've seen. No. Fuck Midnight Mass. <laughs> that's that's the one you don't. You I can't fucking do hate it. that show. <laughs> it's like it's the least rewatchable. I will say that much. I mean. That shows like getting a great blowjob. And then halfway through. The person just starts punching you in the balls nonstop. Just does nothing but punches you in the balls. So it's one of those where it's like, for you, the idea of like, because it was so good and let you down, that's why it it's the worst and why you hate it. I mean, yeah, because like, all right, say that blowjob was happening. It could be the best thing you were ever happening. But then because of the ball punching, all I'm going to remember is ball punching. <laughs> I'm not going to remember yeah. anything before that. Right. Yeah, <laughs> that makes sense. Yes. I know that's a very Fair crass enough. analogy for people, but guys, that's what that show was like for me. There's going to be the people out there that are like, I get that. I get that. That speaks to me. <laughs> but anyway, we, we're talking about everything but this show. At this I point. know this. I guess this is kind of a unexpected intro in a way. But this yeah. is what happens when Justin's not on this episode to calm us down from going on tangents. Right. Because everybody knows throughout the history of the Cinema Slayers podcast, mm-hmm. Heather is the worst person about going on tangents. Just nonstop tangents. Yeah. And Justin needs to calm me down. And, you know, it's his fault. You know, that's this is all his fault. Because I go with the flow. That's what I'm known for. Just going with the flow. <laughs> Yes. So I'm here with you, you. the tangent queen, and I'm going with the flow. We need, we need Jastin here. We need the balance. Yeah. You know, the on task king that is Jastin. (laughs) Yes. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. So if this goes off the rails, we only have Jastin to blame for that, for not balancing us out. I mean, he can't expect me to do it. I'm, I'm the chill guy. Yes, yes. Never said a controversial <laughs> thing in my life because I go with the flow. Yeah, you don't step out of line. You never I do. Don't. Yeah, it's not, it's not in, your, it's not in your, your person to do it. Very mild-mannered. Yes, that. <laughs> Recommendations but, and scores? Yeah, yes. <laughs> Recommendations and scores. You might as well just go first all episode. You go. um i do recommend this show yeah again it's not one of those where you need to have seen any of flanagan's other work to understand this i mean seeing edgar Allan poe's work helps with this but you don't need to see it for this story to make sense or for it to be enjoyable at least i don't think uh it's like a it's got this dark beautiful thing about it i guess kind of like a like a gothic horror vibe, I guess that's what you would call it. And it's really, it does set a really 
very specific tone that is um, intentional that he does. And it works really well with the story that he's telling with it. The back, that backdrop with the story he's telling, of course, with Edgar Allan Poe's work is very much fitting. And I think it's beautiful writing. I think it's great acting and just, you know, for the most part, good storytelling. Yes, it is a little bit slow at points when it doesn't need to be uh, things like that. But and, yeah, and I, I do think that there might there might have been opportunities to focus on some of the characters a little more than they did. But with the nature of how the episodes went prevented that from being able to happen. But it uh, overall, yeah, I, I think it was pretty solid, I would say. I would, um, let me see, I guess I'll give it, I'll give it an 81, um, cats scratching your eye out, out of 100. 81, wow. (laughs) I don't know, I can't gauge if that's too high or too low for you. (laughs) Probably too high. Uh, It's a fine show. Yeah, go ahead and watch it. In fact, if you're listening to this right now, probably already have watched it. It's been out for a while. We were just kind of doing because, you know, somebody asked us if we were going to do it. And we're like, yeah, sure, we'll do it. You know, Justin wasn't able to. That's why he's not on it. And it's a bonus. So who cares? You know, uh, I mean, I'd recommend it. Sure. It's also the last thing Mike Flanagan's doing on Netflix for a while. You know, and and I'm also, I am so fucking tired of seeing all those things on Facebook. That's like, oh, the reason why you won't get a fall of the House of Usher season two on Netflix. Also, because it's a mini series, right? Who gives Most a fuck of his stuff is. about the Amazon deal he makes? Where the, you know that does not matter. This is a mini series. This is not a multi-season show. The only thing he's done that was meant to be a multi-season show was a uh, Midnight Club. Yep. So, uh, but yeah, it, I mean, it's for the most part, it's good. It's acting. It's got atmosphere. It's got all of those things. It's got Poe stuff. Out the wazoo, if that's what you're into, you know, it's got a good amount of violence. It's got, you know, it's just got, you know, a slew of things. I mean, this show is all over the place when it comes to the varietal of things you will see. So, I mean, yeah, I I do recommend it. You know, wish the pacing was a little better. Wish there was some more mystery to stuff. But, I mean, for the most part, still, it's it's a good watch. I'll give it a 72. Okay. Uh, a 72. Um, um, I don't know. Uh, a 72, uh, I love Raul cool, uh, Coley. Isn't that how you that's say valid. that? Yeah, Rahul Coley, I think. Yeah, yeah, that's valid. I love that man. I loved him on iZombie. I'm glad this man's getting more work. He was the single best thing about Midnight Mass, 100%, hands down. And I really liked it also that uh, Malcolm Goodwin was in this show. He played the younger version of the the US attorney guy that was going after them. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah, he's also from iZombie. Oh, is he? Yeah. Okay. 
So I was really kind of happy that they did that. And then also you had a ton of Battlestar Galactica people too. And by a ton, I mean two. Because uh, Mary McDonald and uh, what's his name? Uh, Michael uh, Truco, Truco. They were both in Battlestar Galactica. So a lot of fun shit all around. Um, so what did I give it? I, did I say 72? Yeah. I don't even remember what the fuck I said. Yeah, you said 72. I fucked that up. Hold on. Plus one equal to five by two. That makes our official CineScore with the Cine, uh, Cinema Slayer's rule of always rounding up a 77. Okay. I can live with that. That's literally the exact same score we gave uh, When Evil Lurks. Oh, okay. Yeah. Spoilers? Let's do it. Spoilers. You're going first. I told you, you're going first all episode. <laughs> I feel like this is going to be a back and forth of the spoilers, though. But um, Nope, I'm not saying any more things from this <laughs> point on until you are 100% done. Oh, goodness. Oh, goodness. Um, which I also, I can't believe I forgot to bring this up earlier, too. Um, having Mark Hamill in this was pretty awesome. I did quite enjoy that. Yeah, he was um, he was good in this. I I, I liked he, he, he was very understated, but very mm-hmm. intense when he needed to be. Yeah, yeah. I've definitely not seen him play a role like that before, so I I thought he did a really good job. I mean, you've kind of heard him do a role ish like this when he's doing the Joker on Batman the animated series, with just being able to say very menacing things. Mm, you know, and yeah. having that very menacing tone to him. Mm-hmm. But no, I really yeah. dug what he did with this. I did too. Yeah, he was really great. Um, I mean, the thing is, obviously, at the beginning, one of the first things that you learn in the opening of this is that basically, I mean, it's it's the House of Usher. It's the the family, the Usher family, but they're all basically dead. <laughs> they're all deceased. And then every episode is sort of going back through how each of them died. So um, and, and and that's kind of like why. I don't know if maybe that's part of what you mean about needing more mystery with it, but um, yeah, I I do think that that was a a kind of, I feel like that piece of it was good to know up front because it kind of set the tone of everything else that plays out in the show. And I do like the, uh, the main Roderick, is that his name? The main guy. Um, I really, I did like the scenes when he's just sitting there talking to the, the attorney, right? The attorney guy. Um, I, I did like those scenes a lot because I don't know. I just think that um, I'm forgetting the guy who plays Roderick, older Roderick, but he was fantastic. Like he did a solid job. And I, I just really, I, I just like everything he did with how he played this character. That was Bruce Greenwood. Bruce Greenwood. Yes. Thank you. Um he was just really excellent. This I I know I've seen him in other things before, but I just thought he was so he really was a standout in this one. He plays um, uh, Captain and Admiral Pike in the reboot of the Star Trek movies. Oh, okay, okay. Um, that's that's the biggest thing I knew him from, like right away. And I know he's in some other Flanagan stuff, um, but yeah, I just I really just liked 
the presence that he brought to being the the head of this the head of this family and all of this stuff. And then Mary McDonald, I think is her name, the sister. Um, McDonald, not McDonald, McDonald, Mary McDonald. She was excellent. Like, I, I feel like, I mean, if we want to talk about villains of the show, she might be the biggest villain. Really? <laughs> I think, uh, Verna, who, uh, is Carla Gugino, who I love Carla Gugino. I think she's great in everything she does. Um, I have loved her since son-in-law. Me too, actually. That's the first thing I ever saw her in. Uh, she's great. She's fantastic. And she also looks the same as she did in that movie. So, um, but yeah, like she's, she's fantastic in this. Like she's a fantastic role as Verna in this. And I think that kind of like what you were alluding to about, you know, Verna is essentially, I guess you would call her the villain or the antagonist, if you will, of this show. And she does it. She's actually probably one of the most perfect performances in this show. She's, I have no notes for her. She's great in the entire thing. Um, she, you know, she, she is the antagonist of it, but I know that there's a little bit up in the air about what is she supposed to be? I think, ultimately or the majority of things I've heard is that she's supposed to be portraying death. Um, well, I think with that is it's, it's a little bit more up in the air because it's the whole, like does the deals with the devil type of act. Yeah. Does, you yeah. know, those like the, and it's always the double deal. It's always, mm-hmm. you know, it's never quite as simple as it may seem, mm-hmm. you know, which is the traditional viewpoint of a deal with the devil, you know, but, I mean, you can make also the argument that if her character is death, that maybe people have like attributed deals that they make with death to the devil instead, you know, Mm -hmm. any number of those things. Yeah. But I, and I think that that might be the point that she is an amalgamation of so Mm -hmm. many things, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Because I don't really, I wouldn't fully see her as the devil because you know, traditionally the devil is supposed to be played as like kind of always wanting the worst and just wants your soul and all these things. Like, I don't really think that that's what, you know, she was here, but yeah, I I see that she's kind of, it does feel like she's a little bit of a couple of different things. So, and and with that, it also goes to what version of the devil you're looking at. You know, there are versions of the devil in literature and all this other stuff to where he's not particularly evil. You know, because, you know, his thing is sin. And if you want to sin, he'll let you do it. But you just have to face the consequences because God has rules on this. And he's just the enforcer. Mm -hmm. You know, he's not even directly like, I'm evil. It's just, hey, you sinned, you're going to be punished. But, you know, but he, you know, it's not that he wants people to sin or it's not that he wants people to like go to hell. It's just, if you're in hell, you will pay the price. But, you know, outside yeah. of that, it's like, hey, no, nah, you you don't have to go to hell. You can be a good person. I'm cool with that. But, mm-hmm. if, you know, if you're a bad person, yeah, I'm going to punish you because that is what you yeah. deserve. So there are versions of the devil like that to where she could also be attributed to that where yeah, innocence is fine. And like in innocence or the loss of innocence might break her heart, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah, because if you think about the scene with Lenore, mm-hmm. right, and like how – she and I actually loved that scene. I thought that was a really great scene where and, and you know, she's just 
she regrets it. She's like really sad and doesn't want to do it. Doesn't want to make her die, you know, but it's just kind of the deal that was made before. And that's the you thing. Know? And that's why I wouldn't really attribute her to being death. Cause death would be cold. Yeah. Death that's wouldn't true. care. That's a good point. Like, yeah. That's why she I don't think like, you okay. can solely say she is death or she solely is the devil. Like, I yeah. think there is just an amalgamation of so many things yeah. uh, that she can be kind of attributed to it. Like almost like in general, in the end, she is just a supernatural force. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because also you're right. Like death wouldn't, you wouldn't be able to make a deal with death and because death comes for everybody. So it's almost like you can maybe try to prolong it, which I guess that's what I felt like the, the Roderick and, the sister we're doing, but you're right. Like, it's almost like you can't, you can't just make a deal and not die because you got to die at some point. So that's fair to say. Yeah. I guess. Yeah. Just a supernatural being of some kind is what she was. Yeah. Because like I said, death would just be cold about it. Yeah. Like that is the one thing that is universal in in so many ways. It's like death is indiscriminate. Mm -hmm. You know, it doesn't matter for everyone just does his job. Done. You know, it yeah. doesn't matter what p- point in your life it is. Like death will come like at some point it could be when you're five. It could be when you're 95, you know, right. and with that indiscriminate nature to death, that's why I don't think like in that scene with Lenore, mm-hmm. I don't think death would have cared. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, so it seems like that, that just make me feel like it's not death. Yeah. Or the scene with, um, I'm forgetting who Mark Hamill's character's name is, but the scene with him where she's like, what do you want to do? Giving you this choice, you know? And like, and he's, he, he chose what he chose. And I thought that was a really great scene too, but you know, yeah, it's almost like I'm going to choose you. It's death. Wouldn't just be like, do you want to die or not? Like, that's just not how that works. So yeah, that's fair. That's fair. It's, I think she's just, yeah, she's very, what's the word? Uh, like just, you kind of unambiguous, Unambiguous is that the word I'm thinking well, of? With with her, the way she the way she handles stuff, it always depends on the person. Or ambiguous, sorry. Go yeah. ahead. The way she, you know, it always depends on the person. Yeah. You know. Yeah. Like with Pim, she was kind of matter of fact about stuff. Yeah. You know, but she respected his choice. Mm-hmm. You know, like I respect that. And with Lenore, like. You know, mm-hmm. she did take pity on Lenore. It wasn't going to change right. what she was going to do, but she took pity on Lenore because right. of all of the the family of Usher. She's the only one that was not a piece of shit. Yeah. Right. You know, and I really dug the job that, uh, what's his name? Uh, Elliot from E.T. Yes. Her dad. Yeah. Maybe um, he was actually the biggest villain. <laughs> could be. The, He's one of them. He, yeah. He, the, the way they really did his arc was fantastic. Mm-hmm. But you know, and the joy like, she took in that one. You yeah, know? yeah, exactly. Like that. The, when when people deserve it, there's joy. When they don't, she doesn't. And like I said, death. There, there's an indiscriminate nature to death. And like I said, she always plays into that. Like there were some of the people. Some of them, she was slightly pitiful on. You know, she had some pity for some of them, but like, never enough to just do what was meant. You know? Right. Like she tried yeah. to save uh, Lenore's mom. 
Mm-hmm. She just took too long to respond. Mm-hmm. You know, she saved all the the staff that was there. Yeah. You know, like technically she, in a sense, saved the mom. But she later. did. Yeah. But <laughs> yeah. I mean, she tried to fully save her because she yeah. knew the mom whilst being still tempted by what the house of Usher meant was not fully of them, was not fully what yeah. they are. Mm-hmm. Same with Lenore. Lenore was not like the rest of the house, you know, and Le- Lenore was even less tempted by what the house of Usher meant. You know, the mom yeah. slightly was, but, you know, but like th- that mattered to her, you know, and, and, and just by the sheer fact that she was not blood related, the mom could live, you know, same with the stepmom, you know? So mm-hmm. there, there, there are so many aspects of it in that, that just make me very curious like what? What was Flanagan specifically going for? Mm-hmm. I, I would think that would be a fun thing to know, but at the same time, I don't think it completely detracts from what this show did by not knowing directly what Verna was, other than being a what anagram for uh, Raven. Yeah, right. I mean, and I guess too. I, I think I did see something where someone said like she's technically maybe supposed to be like a god in some way because giving you, you, you make your choice. I'm telling you what they are, but what your choice is, here's consequences and things like that. So I could see the argument for that as well. And the whole thing of, you know, having pity for those that didn't deserve it. But, you know, so I I could kind of see the argument for that as well. Uh, To me, it would depend on a, the style of God, like whether it'd be an old God or a new God. Which also, though, that tends to be more Lovecraftian. Lovecraft yeah. tends to go more into the old gods, the elder gods, the eldritch gods, you know, like what we as humans can say with Cthulhu and stuff like that. And typically, those gods are completely indiscriminate. They do not care. Mm-hmm. They crave yeah. death, you know. And so that's why I wouldn't even think she would be even then at that sense like an old god, you know. Maybe a slightly milder version of of an elder, like or an eldritch god, mixed with of the vaguest of concepts of Christianity, like the Christian god. Like mm-hmm. you know, all they ultimately want is for you to be a good person, but they will give you, you know, they allow you to not be. They, you know, will even tempt you with it. You know, it's your choices yeah. that ultimately decide what yeah. you are, though, to them, mm-hmm. or you know. And those things. And I, you know, so I do appreciate that. I mean, plus, like you said, the, the, the performance of that character is just one of the most rock solid things you will see in this. Oh yeah. Yeah. I mean, and again, it's also, I feel very on brand for Flanagan to kind of make things like that, that up in the air and ambiguous because that's kind of, I feel like he does that in a lot of his stuff of like, you know, interpret this, how you want to interpret this kind of thing for what makes sense for you. You know, I feel like that kind of could be a little bit what he was doing here. That's fair. I mean, yeah, I will say this, Mike Flanagan, sometimes (laughs) it's okay to just say what the fuck it is. (laughs) Sometimes we want the answer. Yes. (laughs) Kind of like how you ended up saying this angel's a vampire. Yeah. (laughs) Like you you can tell us us what Berna is. (laughs) You told us. Maybe that's the time you should have held back. 
you should have been like, <laughs> yeah. nah, this is just a thing. Switch the two. Yeah. Like you could Tell have been more specific is. in this, <laughs> yeah. way less specific in, in Midnight Mass. That is fair. I don't know. Make the vampire at least not look like, I don't know, a vampire. <laughs> right. Maybe the something exact version slightly of the vampire. angelic. Right. You know, something that looks like it may have actually known what the grace of God was. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's fair to say. Yeah. Maybe. He, yeah. If if we had any notes for Flanagan, I think that would be the notes we have for him. But <laughs> I've got so many notes yeah. just about Midnight Mass. <laughs> yeah. All the issues with that one. Um but yeah, I think, I mean, but yeah, I really, I, I loved uh, the character of Verna and just seeing the different versions of her throughout the whole show and what she looked like to each person and who she played to each person and all of that. So it, it was really an interesting concept, but it was, I mean, they could not have casted it more perfectly for it to be Carla Gugino. I mean, that just makes total sense. And, you know, I think that, um, I mean, I think I leaned towards the episodes where I kind of already knew a little bit of the story were for the most part, the ones that I enjoyed more. And I don't know if that's just because I was familiar with them, but only to the vaguest extent, like the telltale heart is definitely my, you know, the one that I think would, I would consider like my favorite Edgar Allan Poe story. Um, is that solely because they reference it in an episode of Psych? <laughs> oh, they do, don't they? No, that actually wasn't why. They also do a Simpsons episode on it. But uh, <laughs> see, where they enough? I know no Simpsons references. <laughs> That's uh, one of it's one of those like where they did the Halloween like episodes or whatever, and it was like one of three the in three an House of Horrors. Yeah, yeah. That's and those almost I always the extent watched. of my Simpsons knowledge is that. Yeah, uh, same. <laughs> yes, they do that in the, the episode of Psych where the, the old man dies. It's one of the Christmas episodes. Yeah, it's the oh, rocking chair. I forgot about that. And, and, and Sean does the thump, 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 thump. Oh, yeah. And then Gus starts doing the Norman. Yes, yes, I totally forgot Sean about that. Sean is doing the telltale heart to Gus. How did I forget that? Man, you think that would be my first reference. Something's up here. I don't know what happened, but yeah. Um, but no, I, I do, uh, you know, I, I like that episode and I like the the actress who plays, uh, is it Victorine? Is that her name? Um, or Vic, I think they called her. Yeah, they called her Vic. She's fantastic, especially from her in Bly Manor. Uh, she was so great in Bly Manor. But she's just a really great actress, and I have not seen her in anything except Bly Manor and this. But she's so good, and I just want to see her in more stuff. But, you know, I just, I, I do like that, kind of like what you said with with the midnight mass characters how beautifully written the characters are i feel like that is also true in this show because while yes you know the overall general idea of what type of people they are and all these things they each have their own little nuances they have their own little things about them or quirks or stuff like that, that you, that's fleshed out a little bit more with each of them. And I appreciated that too, because it wasn't like, I don't think any of the issue was focusing too much on giving us the, the more of the characters and who they were as characters. I just think that I found some of the characters more interesting than others. And 
you just didn't get to see them as much as you would have liked. Like uh, the, the, you know, is it Katie Seagal, uh, Mike Flanagan's wife, the uh, Camille, Camille was her name in this. She was an interesting character and she unfortunately was one of the first to go. If I remember right, I want to say in like this, maybe the third episode or something like that. She lasted um, longer than my boy. That's true. She, Oh, she was the one right after him. I thought it was the one right before him. I'll never but, forgive Flanagan for that. He took my boy away so early. And see, I agree. Cause I was upset about that too, but I do also feel like somehow we got to know him more as a character than we did Camille. Like for some reason it felt like Leo Usher was a little bit more of somebody that you remember his character more than you do Camille. And I don't know if it's me because he was interspersed a little bit better with the other characters in the show before his death episode, which was, I think you're right. I think that was the third episode. Um, and then the fourth episode I think was when she died. Yeah. She was the one like right after him, but, um, you know, and so that was kind of a bummer to see those characters go so early, but you know, I, I just feel like, yeah, I, I would have liked a little bit more of, you know, Rahul Kali's character. are wrong. Oh, are we? She dies in the third. He dies in the fourth. Oh, okay. So I did. Okay. So I did. Uh, I did sort of have it right at the first. Yes, you, you, you were okay. correct. I was wrong. It is flipped. Okay. Because it's so Victor Reed in and the fifth one. Yes. Because the, the, no one technically dies in the first episode. Right. The second is Mask of the Red Death. Third is mm-hmm. murder in the uh, room morgue, and uh, fourth is black cat. So right. you were correct. Okay, so because I was like, I knew she either died like in the one after or the one before him, but yeah, okay. So, but yeah, either way, and maybe that is why we. I feel like we got a little bit more of him, maybe because we actually did get a little bit more with him. But and honestly, uh, Prospero or whatever his nickname was, the the first one who died from the mask of the red death. Um, he was an interesting character too. Like he was a really interesting character and he was the first to go. So we just didn't get a lot of him. And it it wasn't a thing where they did a lot of necessarily like flashbacks of them after they died. If that makes sense. Like you get flashbacks of Roderick younger and Madeline younger, but you don't get a lot of, yeah, you don't get flashbacks of the kids, his kids when they were, you know, after they were dead you don't see any flashbacks of them after that point, really, as far as I remember. So, um, you know, and, and that would have been fine to do, too. But, you know, for the purpose of how they laid out this show, that was fine. Uh, it just, you know, it's just one of those like, oh, bummer. I kind of cared a little bit more about the characters that died sooner. Like, unfortunately, the the gold bug one, um, I didn't really care for her character as much as any of the others. I, you know, she was weirdly as late as she lasts in the show. Yeah. Was almost the weakestly developed. Yeah. Yeah. Like, I true. wish they went more into it because like, I really liked the fact that she was having like these weird kink things and all this other stuff. And they just kept weirdly touching on it. But like, I wanted them to see them like delve into it, not necessarily completely for the sex part, but just like her psychology behind wanting that, like to want to watch her husband date a version, like a somebody was playing the character of her. Yeah. 
you know, yeah. like to have dinner and have a date. And, you know, like, I don't know if it went further. I don't know if like, you know, mm-hmm. yeah, like she'd watch them fuck or whatever. But like, I just, I think that that's a really fascinating thing to introduce yeah. that she wants to watch her husband date a sex worker that is being paid to act like her. Yeah. It's a very specific. Yeah. Kink. And I'm <laughs> it's like very specific. And that's so fascinating. And yeah. I'm so sad. We didn't get more of it. We didn't get that. Cause I mean, you feel like what you do know of her, it feels like maybe it's one of those where she doesn't like, there's a disconnect with her, with her own life. Right. So she'd rather just see somebody else play out like what her life would be. Cause she's just so disconnected. Yeah. You know and what that's I mean? so fascinating. Like she's disconnected, but she wants her husband to be married to her and have a right. relationship with her, but she can't mm-hmm. give it to him. So she has to have somebody else play her to yeah. give him the relationship, but she wants to watch it happen. But mm-hmm. then she gets so jealous and consumed by the idea that he's having the affair with the fake her. Yeah. And and like I said, that delve into that psyche is so incredibly fascinating to me. And yeah. I don't think we really delved into it enough. That's and true. And I'm so disappointed in that. Because I yeah. think that they really went hard at the psyche of so many of the other characters, mm-hmm. especially like Vic. I think, Vic, you get this great, overwhelming yeah. and thorough explanation of what she's psychologically doing and breaking down and all this Mm -hmm. stuff. And you just don't get enough of that with her. Yeah. I just really wish there was more to it. And and maybe that's why I think her and honestly, uh, Camille was probably another weaker developed character. Maybe that's why I wanted more of her because we didn't get a lot of her development in the show in the moments we did get her. But um, I think that, the interesting thing too is the the actress who played the the lady from the gold bug she's in a lot of Flanagan's work and I'm trying to remember um what her name is oh Samantha Sloyan is her name uh she's actually a phenomenal actress like she's really a good actress everything that I, I mean I've only ever seen her in Flanagan's work but she's she brings it every time and she's always just a very she always just plays the fascinating character in some way, or she's really good at being evil and terrible, but also like in this, she wasn't evil and terrible, but she was very firm and cold in a way. And she's just so good at like playing well, these very strong right. emotions. Disconnected. Yeah. Yeah. And I know something else you've seen her in. Oh, what's that? The morning show. Oh, yeah, yeah, okay. Yes. I just, I know that because, like, yeah. Yeah, yeah. She, yeah, and sadly, she's only in, like, one episode of that. But, but I mean, but even in this, I mean, her acting was great. And maybe yes. that's more of one of the reasons why I wanted more of that story. This was the only one of the stories where I was like, they didn't put enough in. I think sometimes yeah. they dragged it out. And maybe it's because they really wanted to focus more on the Poe aspects of things. But I'm like, you introduced some really cool psychological fucked up shit. Give that to me. Right. Yeah. Because, I mean, so, I mean, and the kids were, so it was Prospero and then it was, uh, who died after? Oh, that was uh, Camille. Yeah. yeah. And like, and again, there too, you see that whole thing of like, just her wanting to control everything and all the people around her too. Like even with her assistants, you know what I mean? Like she, she's like, okay, 
when you're my assistant, you literally do everything. So yeah, it's just kind of, it, it just, that could have been an interesting thing to develop more of, of like, why is that, you know? And also with the way that they're, I mean, who her, their family is probably a lot of why they are the way they are about certain things, but they don't really go into that. So, um, but yeah, so, I mean, and there was Camille and then there was Leo who, I mean, I, I just think I, I have like, I don't know. I saw a theory that Rahu Kohli is pretty much just playing himself in that role. <laughs> I could kind of see that, you know, he's like a gamer and like, oh, just his, like personality. You know what I mean? Just an oozing, just fuckability nonstop. <laughs> that haircut. I like that haircut, you know, oh th- that and the tattoos. Yeah, the he neck this, tattoos. Like, he had this like goat devil fucking thing on his throat. I wanted to lick it. <laughs> yeah, he's, I mean, he just, it felt like he was just playing a little bit more of like a maybe dramatized version of basically himself. You know what I mean? Um, How is he not the most fuckable person alive? Then? <laughs> if that's just a version of him. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, he's a he's an attractive man. Yeah, um, but like, and he's then an there was human. Yes, I don't give yes. a fuck. He's an attractive <laughs> human. This is true. Yes, <laughs> um, but and then who was after him? It was I think it was uh, that's Tamerlan. Oh, it was Vic. Right, it was it's Vic. Vic after that, and then and, and then it's uh, yeah, then it's uh, Tamerlan. Mm-hmm. And then it's Frederick. And then Frederick. Yeah. Frederick. Then, yeah. Yeah. And then it's Roderick and uh, Madeline. In the last Right. One. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and so you just see, I don't know. You just feel like you, you just, the, just the interesting different ways that you see. Yeah. Their lives play out. Like, yeah, I think that Camille and Tamerlan were the ones that were the least developed of the children that they showed us, you know, and um uh, Perry a little bit Prospero and and yeah I guess Perry but, but that's what he was meant to be he was meant to be mm-hmm. a superficial character he was meant to be that fuck boy you yeah. know yeah like he, he was he was he was you know the young kid didn't give a fuck about anything just you mm-hmm. know fucking and drugs and parties and didn't give a fuck mm-hmm. about the business and then when he was trying to get in the business then he was trying to like just do things to get that because he wanted clout and then he wanted right. to get secrets to get clout. Like that's all he was. And he was meant to be that. And so that works insanely well for the first character to die. And you just get hints of him also being a little bit psychotic, almost like (laughs) holding a knife to somebody he thought took his eggs and like, you know what I mean? Just things like that. And yeah, he just had a complete and utter disregard for anything other than his own wants and needs. Or just, yeah, maybe a sociopath. Yeah. Yeah. Like that was it. Straight up only cared about his wants and needs fuck everyone else but what i love about that is when he was in the room with uh verna or the version of verna that was there like i feel like that was the only time that he actually showed that he was kind of interested in something somebody else was saying you know and i loved that i think any scene that verna had with one of the other people was always so good she always it was just the perfect scene because you know, her and her supernaturalness knew exactly what to say to these people to kind of, you know, draw them in, in a way or whatever it is, or get them to think or whatever. But 
And, and I did like the moment between Prospero and Leo where, you know, you could tell that Prospero looked up to him or Perry. He looks up to Leo and and Leo wanted to be that good example. And you could just see that they felt like as the siblings, they felt like they had more of a connection as siblings than any of the others uh, for the most part, you know. And, and I thought that was really well done, too. And um, but yeah, I just it's hard because, yeah, there were just definitely characters you wanted to see a little bit more developed. And even Roderick's wife, uh, Annabelle, Annabelle Lee, I I liked her character. But again, I actually could have stood a little bit more development from her. I mean, I think that she was kind of meant to not be because she wasn't technically a main character. She was sort of just like a catalyst in a way for Roderick. And it, it, she was just the person that you got to see. He actually had a loving side to him before, you know, all of the stuff got to him. And I think that she served that purpose well. But just the way that the acting was done, like I was just curious and more interested about her character a little bit than what we got. And um, but yeah, I just I they he does such a good job of writing fascinating characters because, yeah, Roderick and Madeline are just they've got to be the worst people ever <laughs> but you're just so fascinated by them when they're on screen you're like I want to know what you're about to do and like I I feel like Roderick even though he was I, I feel like you could see glimpses of him having a little bit of a heart Madeline not so much like Madeline you just feel like she had nothing you know I, I liked that she did when it came to him though she, I guess that's true well, yeah he was the only one the most she had yeah. Was with him. Not, yeah. you know, not completely, but yes. the most she had for anybody was for him. And mm-hmm. so I, I dig, dig that, you know, where he had it to a degree with all his children. Yeah. You know, to a degree, but he was yeah. still very standoffish because he's like, you fuckers are going to die before me. You know, but, that's true. Maybe that's why he was standoffish because he knew that. Yeah. But, but yeah, with everybody but Lenore, because I think part mm-hmm. of him thought Lenore might be immune. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And she wasn't, you know. Right. And the only two people that he truly had affection for, like he did have it for Annabelle, you know, but he lost yeah. her, you know. So that's kind of when he, where he lost his humanity. Like yeah. losing, like she was his humanity. Losing her was the humanity. Lenore is what gave it back. And he yeah. lost, you know, like. She was the most like Annabelle, Lee, yeah. you know. Yeah. And. You know, and but outside of that, he, you know, it's Madeline. That's the only other person he has affection for is Madeline. It's Madeline. It's Annabelle. It's Lenore. And everyone mm-hmm. else, you know, he puts up with them because they're family and that's it. Yeah, that's a good point. And then I, I mean, I saw a video too where someone was talking about how, you know, because, Lilith. because, uh, <laughs> because my cat is yelling at me from upstairs. <laughs> So if you just hear, yeah, so you're that, just yelling back down. I thought area. I muted it to tell her to hush. <laughs> That's all good. Um, but yeah, yeah, when like, I said that and you went quiet real fast, I was like, I'm whoops. not on mute. <laughs> yes. Um, but like I saw, uh, like somebody said in a video that I saw that because Roderick and Madeline were just so like their, their father completely, you know, cut them off, you know, didn't want anything to do with them and disown them entirely, all of this stuff. That's why, even though he kept them at a distance, he still at least 
had them in his life. And I thought that was interesting because I didn't actually pick up on that, but that makes sense, you know, because he's like, I know what it's like to feel like my father's completely just disowned me and not talking to me. And then so that's why he was like, okay, all my children, they're about to die because of me, but I'm still going to keep them close to me in a sense. Like I'll still provide for them and I'll still take care of them and whatever else, because he didn't have that and neither did Madeline. So I did think that was an interesting uh, kind of character development that you see in Roderick as well. Um, but yeah, I think uh, like, I, and I also like, you know, I, I'm a big fan also of Zach Guilford who played the younger version of Roderick. The interesting thing about him though is he, I think, and he's, he's a good actor, but I think that it was almost at times hard to believe him as this like menacing guy or that he was going to turn into this menacing guy just because he just looks like a nice guy. You know what I mean? So it was just like, almost like this is going to be the same person, you know? But then, I mean, well, when he had to bring it, he brought it, you know? I mean, I, I, I felt like that worked just for the sheer fact that it was kind of meant to be that duality. He wasn't evil yeah. yet. He was on his way. Yeah. He was right. Know, but he still had something. And then he went evil. You know, yeah. and the, but the thing is, it's also the last scene when he fully goes evil. You get it. You it's, see but it. it's also the last scene with him. Yeah. They don't show yeah. any of the scenes with him as younger Roderick uh-huh. after that point. Yeah, that's true. And, and it worked. I'm saying like he did a great job with it, but it was almost like, I guess I just, I wasn't expecting it to work, you know? And also because he typically plays a nice guy and things I've seen him in. It's just because so you it still hard. remember him as a high school quarterback in Friday Night Lights. This is true. Yes. That is where I first saw him. He, and when he's I no longer from. a child. He's grown into a man. Let him be a man. Although I don't even think he was a child when he was on no, that. No, he wasn't. But... He's probably 57 when he was on that show. <laughs> yeah, on that show. So he's like, how old now? 60 something. At least be. 192. <laughs> yes. Looks good for his age then. Yeah. But, you know, so and, and, it, and it did work, but it was just one of those where, like, for a minute, I was like, I don't know. Like, it, I feel like I'm going to have a hard time buying this as the younger him. But I'm always glad to see him in stuff. I just was like, how's this going to work? But yeah, that last scene, he pulled it off. Younger Madeline, though, she nailed it. She absolutely nailed it. Um, I don't remember her real name, but she was fantastic as Madeline. And I completely bought every bit of her growing into older Madeline. (laughs) Like that just was solid. Nailed that casting. But... Yeah, I think that's Willa Fitzgerald. Willa Fitzgerald. Oh, she was in the Scream TV show. That's she I was. was like, I know that name too. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, and and so I just I really did think that they did well with who they casted and what they casted them as. So I, I do I do think that that was so well done, and I think that um, like. Again, with, uh, is it Pym? Is that Mark Hamill's character? Yeah. Arthur Pym, I think. No. Arthur Pym, yeah. Yeah, yeah, I think you're right. Are you sure? Yeah, I think, because didn't they call him Art? Because Hank Pym is Uh MCU. Okay. That's what I was worried. I was was worried I was saying (laughs) Ant-Man. Mixing him up. Oh, yeah. The Michael Douglas Ant-Man. You're right. It was Arthur Pym. Yeah. So, um, but yeah, I think, and I really, I... Mark Hamill was so good as a character. I think you're right. Like when you say he was understated, 
but there's something, some energy or presence that he brought to that character that I thought worked so incredibly well. And you do get glimpses of him. And in that moment too, when he's talking to Verna and they're having that conversation, it was so beautiful. And it just almost just really kind of made me want more backstory for him or just more character development from him in general. But it's weird. It's a weird duality with it because at the same time, I feel like because of how well written he was, you only needed the one scene to really get that character development from him. You know, it just kind of worked with, even though I would have liked more because I thought he did great in the role. The one scene gave me pretty much everything I kind of needed for his character, you know? So I don't know. I just think that that's, that was interesting, but I think, um, I do feel like towards the end of the series in like the last episode or so there were some moments like we were talking about with the pacing where you feel like it's about to end a couple of times and it doesn't <laughs> like everything kind of that happens before Madeline in a sense comes back to life for whatever she does in from the basement. Um, that could have been an ending and that would have been fine. Or you could have just, you didn't have to have the Madeline part to it. You could have just kind of explained what happened or something, but it just kind of felt like it was ending a couple of different times in the last episode that it could have been probably done or paced a little bit better with that. So that's, that's all I could think of right now, but I'm sure I'll have more thoughts on what you say. I honestly don't know what else I'm going to say. Cause I was, that, well, I was just, cause I was chiming in during when yeah. you were talking with what I had to say about those specific things. Yeah. Uh, Oh, I mean, one of the scenes at the end, whenever Verna's talking to Roderick and it's raining outside and it changes to like raining bodies. So he could see that yeah. like the pyramid of death or like the body count mm-hmm. of his, you know, of his actions. Mm-hmm. Like I really dug that scene. That was a really that well done good. scene because it's very subtle. Like yeah. it's just, it slowly starts changing raindrops into people. Yeah. And the, yeah, it the, took me a minute. I was like, wait, what? And I was like, oh. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that was a yeah. very well done scene. And then there's the mm-hmm. one with the uh I think my favorite scene in this uh show is whenever they did the uh the little part from the uh cask of uh Amonted uh Amontillado. If I'm fucking that up, I'm sorry, I don't speak Italian. I also don't care enough to pronounce it right in Italian. So who gives a fuck? But like when they're doing that to his boss, you know, whenever they're just like, they got him drunk and they drugged him, put him in the wall and they're just letting him fucking, you know, say all that bullshit, say all that shit. And then they start monologuing. Like I really liked when the sister kind of started monologuing and he's just still putting the bricks. Just Yeah. Yeah. Up, still doing the bricks, you know? Yeah. There, there was, was something probably, very daunting about that. Yeah. Yeah. That was my probably favorite part of that. And I also dig, dig the scene in the second episode where it's the, the acid rain. Like uh, the mask of the red death is one of my favorite stories in of Edgar Allan Poe's that has really kind of stuck with me. It is one of those stories I love that. And it ties in thematically with this a little bit too of, and it ties in thematically of what we said earlier with death of death is indiscriminate. You know, death does not 
you know, care if you're rich or poor or whatever. Like these rich people thought they could, you know, separate themselves from the cholera outbreak that was happening outside their walls and throw this big lavish party, you know, and just say, fuck all the poor people, they can die. And, you know, this was like a version of that. And it's just, you know, I'm all about eat the rich. So fuck it. Let them all fucking get killed. That's fine. All acid rain deaths. <laughs> but I liked too, like the, just the ambiance that they presented in that nightclub. You know what I mean? Like they just like, I don't know. I just, the, when Verna just comes in, she's got the mask on and just the whole thing, you know? And it just, I don't know. The, just the build up to that moment and the build up to this nightclub thing that he decided to do was just really well done. It was a really good episode, you know? Yeah. And, you know, I'm also all down for a sex party scene. <laughs> that too. Yes. You know, so, I mean, I don't know. Like, it's one of those ones where with that, you know, it was really well done. And I really, like I said, I like that. Like you said, I, I like the way she introduced into it and all of these things. Like, it had a really nice flow to that episode. But then I also did dig the the Pit and the Pendulum episode. Like, that's another one, you know. Yeah. I dug, and I really just kind of like the fact that randomly there's just a pendulum murdering him <laughs> in the middle of that thing. Yeah, which I actually didn't know that story. I had not heard that story before for some reason. I think I've heard the Mask of the Red Death and uh, Telltale Heart, the Raven, and I feel like... That might be the only ones of his from this, at least, that I knew. I knew Rue Morgue also. See, you know, I didn't I know did, that I one either. I did know Pit and the Pendulum. Uh, I, I, I know the poem Annabelle Lee. You know. Oh, yes. Yeah, yeah, that's true. There uh, was no episode, but we, yeah, the reference yeah, was understood. I, yeah. I, knew, I knew the vague aspects of Arthur Pym. Because that comes from the only, like, book he wrote. Like, full novel he wrote was Arthur Pym. I knew like some of the vague aspects of that, but I mean, with all that, it's, you know, kind of like, it's just kind of a mess with some of it, you know, like it's good. And it's also, there are so many references to stuff. Like I said, there are characters that he, they pull from other stories, like the names and, you know, they, they put them into this where it's just mixing it with the stories together. So there's a lot with that. Yeah. Um, and I'm trying to think too, like, what, what was the, what I liked the, also the scene at the very end with um, Verna going to the gravestones. I thought that was really well done too, because I like seeing the little different things that she put on their tombstones that kind of represented them or represented how they died either way. But yeah, like I thought that was pretty the, cool. The representation of what was important to them. Yes, that. It, yeah, and I guess like, oh, and one thing I was going to say too about the the scene you were talking about where they're like laying the bricks and everything is she wrote on that one brick that you're so small, right? Which is what Annabelle Lee told her, told Madeline, like in a scene or so right before it. That was interesting to me because I'm like, I guess because 
with Madeline too, she's so cold that you almost feel like something like that's not going to stick with her. So I was one, like, I'm just trying to decide if I think that's something that affected her enough to where she wanted to say to someone else, or if she was just like, Oh, that's a good line. I'm going to use that on him. You know what I I mean? I think that with that, it would have more to do with the fact that while she is very confident and very sure of herself and everything like, you know, that it weirdly did hurt her that Roderick's wife said that to her, you know? Mm -hmm. And I think it's a kind of a symbolic thing of the, like of sealing it up in a wall, like, because like that was also the downfall of her humanity was, you know, sealing him up in the wall too. And so in doing so, you know, it's like she's sealing up the last time she's hurt in, you know, putting the boss in the wall with her humanity too. Yeah, that could be it. It just, it was an interesting choice because Annabelle Lee is just not the character you think is actually going to get to Madeline and they're very opposite people. So I just thought that was a very interesting choice to do. Like I said, I think it's just solely because of Roderick's connection with her. Like Roderick and that's Roderick's wife. And you know, like the only woman that Roderick's loved outside of their mother and her, you know, that's what it was that I think intimidated her to a degree, because up until that point, it was probably the only opinions he cared about were their moms and hers. And then now all of a sudden he cares about Annabelle's. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I did also find it interesting too, with like when, when you see the scene where um, they're both sitting with Verna and she's making the deal with them and you just kind of see this look of kind of shock and disbelief that Roderick agreed so easily to the deal because Madeline's like, hey, like, I'm not going to have kids. Like, that's not my thing. That's going to be his thing, you know. And and so you just it was interesting to me to see that she had like almost a look of like, I can't believe you're agreeing to this when you feel like she's the one who would more so be fine with it more than Roderick was. You know what I mean? Well, with that, I think it has to do with the fact that like she's not afraid of that deal because like you said, what is she going to lose in that deal? She's not having yeah. kids. So what is she losing where with Roderick, he had everything to lose with it. And it's whether or not, you know, they were kind of surprised, but it it was also like showing that breaking the boss up in the wall and losing Annabelle, that was the last straw of his humanity. Yeah. He was just done after that. He didn't care anymore. Yeah. He'd make any deal ever at that point, you know, to just get what he wanted because that's all he was working on was to get to that. You know, he had already more or less thrown his family away to get that. Yeah. So why not do it again? Like to him, that's what I think it was. It's like, I've already thrown them away. Do it again. Maybe by doing this, I at least kind of get them back. And he did because he got money. So he's essentially able to buy his kids back. Yeah. And also somebody I forgot to mention was uh, Roderick's new wife. The one that was on the, uh, the, the drug that they were producing and yes um i liked her a lot too i thought that was an interesting choice to to have that relationship but i liked her character i guess she's the only other person that you would say was a a decent person in this 
in this, but she was also not actually an usher. She was just kind of married into it. Yes. And, and, and I liked that aspect of the story too. I liked that it was, you know, he's like marrying her and essentially giving a part of his fortune away to her Yeah, just because she is living proof that all the things he said about his drugs are wrong. Mm. She's incredibly addicted to it. You know, she yeah. needs them to like all the, all these terrible things that everybody says that his drugs do. If there's ever a case study for them being those terrible things, it's that. And, you know, by not, or like, you know, by marrying her and keeping her in place, like that was his way of making sure that her story never goes yeah. public. So it'll never cause the downfall of the House of Usher, even though it was always like, and that's the thing. He was willing to do all that to not cause the downfall of the House of Usher whilst it was still always going to fall. Yeah. Like all he hmm. did was prevent it from falling by two years, you know? Yeah. Although it did seem weird that like there was a scene between Roderick and Madeline, I think where it almost felt like they didn't actually believe the deal. You know what I mean? Like it was like this such serious thing. And he was like, I don't care, whatever. But then it felt almost like he, he was just like, do you remember her? That was her, right? This isn't, this wasn't real, right? Like this wasn't actually a thing, but I feel like that was weird because the whole, I feel like the entire rest of their lives, they did believe that up until that point. I think it was at that point they had become used to being so rich and so powerful. They just, I think they assumed it was just like a drunk night type of thing and that it wasn't, going to be more than that. That Like maybe they just imagined it or maybe it was just some dumb thing one night because there was nothing after that. There was decades of nothing. Yeah. Nothing was happening. Yeah. And so it said that they were all going to fall together basically. Right. And so since he just kept having all these kids and there, you know, all this other stuff, I think he was just more or less like they were assuming like, well, all the kids are alive. So couldn't be anything. And then the kids started dying. And then I think it becomes a denial thing mm-hmm. of we didn't make some deal with some supernatural being. This is just pure happenstance. And then it kept happening. It kept happening. And then they kept seeing her and it became more and more and more. Yeah. That's, I, I honestly didn't think about that aspect of like, maybe that's why he kept having kids. Well, yeah, that, there's that. Yeah. yeah. Cause if you haven't, cause I think he was thinking it'd be like a one by one thing. Yeah. You know? And if yeah. he's just having, you know, dozens of kids, it's like, <laughs> Gotta kill dozens of these guys before they get to mm-hmm. me. Yeah. You know, especially and it also shows that he never actually found love after Annabelle Lee. Like that the relationships didn't mean anything, you know? Yeah, everything to him was just to further the cause of the House of Usher. And yeah. you know, and like I said, I think part of it was a denial thing. It was all this stuff. Like he was doing behaviors to imply that he believed it was real, but at the same time didn't want to admit to himself that it was real. So whenever he's seeing her, Madeline, like, that's her. And he's like, that's who. I don't even know. Let me just go get a couple more kids popped out real quick, just in case. Right. Yeah. That's uh I mean, and I guess in that sense, like, man, pretty messed up what Roderick did, but I guess if he lost his humanity, why would that matter? But then I think I think he did slowly start to realize that he did actually care more about his kids than he let on because when they were dying, especially Lenore, his granddaughter, he was just like he actually was affected by it. I don't know. 
Yeah, because I think that that's one of the things with it is when his kids started dying, I think he was like starting to realize what it was. But also at that point, that's whenever he had gotten his humanity back with Lenore. You know what I mean? Like, so he had gotten like, so I think he had spent so much time with the kids growing up disconnected and not caring about them. And then Lenore happened. Then he started to care again. And then they started dying and he knew what that meant. Mm Mm-hmm. And I think it was like once it was like once it started happening and all this other stuff, yeah, the, the you know, the end of his life also was, you know, he was, was on the brink of his own life. His kids are dying. But I think also at a certain point he realized Lenore was going to die too. Yeah. And, you know, he's just being eaten up inside because that's all he cares about at that point. Yeah. You know. Right. And I think, you know, with that – I think that that's where he started getting getting nervous and, and scared and like started, you know, really inspecting and, and, you know, digging and all these things into himself to realize what it was. And it all was tied into Lenore. Yeah. But I mean, it's, I don't know, for the most part, like I said, there's, there's a lot of interesting stuff in this show. I just don't think that they always spent the time on the things they should. Yeah. And sometimes we got like really long scenes of death being a monkey, but pretending to be something else. <laughs> that scene was rather drawn yeah. out. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I could see that. Mm-hmm. You know, and I mean, also I, I hate it. I hate it. I hate it. I hate it. I hated what they tried to do as a misdirect in the telltale heart episode. When she's like mm-hmm. trying to call and it's like, we know the woman's dead. Yeah. Why are you trying to do the fake out that, she, you know, oh, we're just yeah. not seeing her. Right. Yeah. Obviously she, yeah. That was kind of obvious from the beginning of that. Yeah. Although I did think that that scene was great when Roderick was there with her. Yeah. And like Roderick finds the body. Mm-hmm. And then she that just like good. stabs herself right in front of him. Like. Yeah. I, I did like, I guess, that aspect of the twist with it, that it wasn't like the cops interrogating her and she's just being slowly driven mad with guilt. I liked that it was just, she was driven mad to die in front of her father, which yeah. did add, I think, more to it because while he might be somewhat heartless and he was, you know, like I said, slightly gaining humanity back because of Lenore, you know, it was just like hit after hit, like regardless of anything, there's not too many people that can stand there and watch one of their children commit suicide in front of their face. Mm-hmm. Whilst on the heels of losing yeah. three other kids. Right. Yeah, that's fair. And I, and I did think that was interesting too, that like you see her, I think, cause didn't she say something like, no, she has to apologize for what she's done after she's already just completely dead. You know, it's just like she completely just was trying to, I don't know, pretend like it wasn't a thing like that. She did not just kill her. I don't know if it was her fiance or her girlfriend or what it was, but. um, I think it was just girlfriend. Just girlfriend. Yeah. Okay. But yeah, her just being like, no, 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 no. She has to apologize for what she's done and just really just had lost all contact with reality. Just, you know what I mean? At that moment. One thing I am slightly sad about is the the whole like for most of the show they're like there's a mole in the house of usher there's a mole in the house of usher I think there should have been one 
because you find out in the end it was just a ploy mm. for the family to turn against each other. And there, mm-hmm. I think there should have been one from the beginning because I think the whole plan was like, oh, you know, trick them into thinking there's one so that someone will actually become one. They will actually yeah. do it, like, you know, to save mm-hmm. themselves against the mold that's already there. I think there should have been one. I think it should have been Lenore. Oh. I think it should have been Lenore because she's the only one that was not like everybody. And I think, like, they had the whole thing of, like, you know, Roderick at the beginning is like, I'm going to fucking murder whoever the fuck it is and all this other stuff. And then it's Lenore. Oh. And then he can't. That's interesting. he realizes in that moment she's right. That would have been a twist. Yeah. But then also she dies mm-hmm. because of him. Like he realizes she's right. He's wrong. She's the innocent one completely. Like, you know, like all those things that, like I said, that she was the regaining of his humanity. It's he becomes totally hum- human again because mm-hmm. of that. And then she dies. That would have been really interesting. Yeah. I think that that's a slightly better version of that. Yeah, that's true. I Especially do like that. with how they wrote the Lenore character. I think that that would have been so great that he is willing to kill anyone else in that fucking family that betrayed them until it's Lenore. Yeah, and then he won't do it. Hmm. But she dies anyway. And yeah. that breaks him. Mm-hmm. That would have been really cool to see. That That would have been, yeah. I like that, actually. And that's why I was slightly disappointed in that scene when, what's his name, Dupin <laughs> was like, I didn't got one. Yeah. I was lying. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I wish there hmm. was one. Yeah. That's a good point. No, I like that revision to this story. Hmm. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, overall, I just, I do, I think it was for the most part, well done. Like, yeah, I just, I just appreciate how, yes, it was based off of all of these works from Poe, but it, it was modernized and it was made a little bit. He had some creative freedom with what he did with some of it. And I thought that was really cool. And he, but he still did justice to, you know, the original stories in a sense. So yeah, I, I, I just really did enjoy this little mini series. And I don't think I'd want a second season of it anyway, even if they were going to do it. I mean, but. I just think it's so funny that there's so many articles like, oh, this is why you're not getting one. But like, of course you're not. Because everyone's dead. Like, how the fuck do you do a sequel? Yeah, exactly. But I mean, and that's why, like, as much as I love Flanagan's work, I don't need him to give us multiple seasons of things. I did want a second season of Midnight Club, but just how he writes these stories, he's very specifically doing it to be just a, like a one-off miniseries thing. And I appreciate that. Well, yeah, like, cause that's the other, like, you know, like no shit moment is like four out of five series. He's done are all miniseries. Like, right. Yeah. That should be the standard. It should be why you are getting a second season of something instead of why you're not like, that's just such a waste of a clickbait article. And I also like, it does kind of suck though, that the one that was supposed to have more than one season got canceled. (laughs) But at the same time, like, I don't necessarily think that's his fault or anything like that, but you know, I, I think it would be interesting to see how he does with that because 
how is he with long form storytelling? Well, because we've only seen either miniseries or movies from him, you know? I would argue that the reason why that didn't get a second season is because he writes it differently. You know, he yeah. wrote it differently than he typically would. So I don't think people were feeling it as much because it does flow differently than his other stories. Uh, like yeah. I said, you do have the slightly disjointed nature of the fact that it is slightly uh, built as an anthology. While there is the underlining story of the kids telling stories, every yeah. episode's different because of the the stories they're telling being like right. played out in front of you, you know? Mm-hmm. And so I think it's a combination of that. And I think it's the combination of the fact that with that, it's just, it, it's a different format than people are expecting with him. Yeah. So with, you know, cause like I watched this fairly close to when it came out, I watched midnight mass close to when it came out, but I watched what Hill house and Bly Manor years after they came out. Okay. You know, because they were miniseries. Like I can watch whatever. Whereas like an actual series where, you know, where numbers actually matter a little bit to whether or not you get a second season. I think people were yeah. used to like, oh, that came out. I'll watch it in like two months. Right. But in two months, Netflix is like, nope, too late. <laughs> right. It doesn't matter if it got all the viewership in the world two months later. Mm-hmm. It didn't get it within five days of it coming out. So they're like, Nope, it's a waste of time. We're not doing anything anymore. Like, you know what I mean? Like there's that aspect of things. So how Netflix pulls the trigger sometimes, but then also Netflix will like, they'll wait a year before going, okay, yeah, we'll do a second season. Like they're just so all over the place. I think at that point though, even if they had it, even if they were possibly waiting it out, he had already started working on the fall of house of usher. And that was the last thing he was contractually obligated to do for him anyway. That also could have been it too. He was only contractually obligated to do X number of things. And when you've got one, it's whether or not you get something new or you get a second season of something. And if the second season is successful, do you get a third? You don't get a third unless you get a new deal. So Mm -hmm. it's like hedge your bets, just get another guaranteed miniseries out of him and hope you get a contract with him and maybe give him a second season after a new contract. And then they didn't get one. Mm -hmm. Amazon got it. Yeah. So there's so many weird behind the scenes fucking movie studio bullshit money type of things that always play into all of this stuff. Yeah. I would also just be curious to know, like, if he'd want to do multiple season things, you know, like maybe he's just like, no, that's not really my jam. I don't know. Well, I'm sure if he got money for it, he might. I mean, he did for that, though. He did write it as something. It was meant to be that. So. Yeah, but I mean, I, I, I wouldn't be against seeing a second season of that or something like. Just as the curious yeah. nature of seeing how he actually does that. I I mean, I think he could do it. I just feel like. I, I don't want the quality of his work to change because of it. You know what I mean? But. I think it, he has the ability to do it. It would just be different than his norm. And yeah, I, but I would be curious. I would like to see how that went for him. We don't, but we don't want like a Riverdale situation where we just get a good first season and everything else is just a little bit too much after that. Yeah. And there was something I know he was talking about wanting to make 
Like I know he wants to redo the Dark Tower franchise because he's done a lot of Stephen King. Like he's done Gerald's Game and he did uh, uh, Doctor Sleep. So, you know, there. Yeah, were, that's true. You know, so there was stuff like that, but and I know he wanted to do, he wanted to do a version of the Dark Tower series, and I don't remember like. But there was something else. There was another horror movie he wanted to do a version of. And I don't remember what it was. I'm going to look it up. You start talking about something while I look it up. I'm also wondering, too, like, has he done anything other than horror type stuff? I don't think he has, but um, I could be wrong about that. I, I mean, I feel like. He is, he's one of those people though, that I'm just, I'm probably never going to think that he could do something bad, (laughs) like knock on wood. Hopefully that doesn't actually happen, but I just really, he's just always so thoughtful in what he does in everything that he, and, and it's all like, it's, it's in his, it's all in his same lane of storytelling, but it's all still so distinctly different from each other too. So it tells me that he could do variety and things like that. But yeah, I don't know. I just, I, I don't know if they've announced anything either about what he's doing next or if he even has anything lined up, what he's doing next. But, um, I'm curious already, you know what I mean? So I was right. It was dark tower. That's his dream project that he wants to do. Mm -hmm. Um, but he's doing something called like the life of Chuck. It's got Tom Hiddleston in it. Hmm. Okay. Curious. I would like to see that team up. And what else is there? They're doing that, like the life of Chuck. Oh gosh. I'm trying to find it. I was looking at an article. Yeah. The life of Chuck. And Mark Hamill's back in that. He so he is actually is supposedly now working on Dark Tower, doing it. He's going to do a TV mm-hmm. series instead of that. And there's something called the Season of Passage. Hmm. Oh, which is a, a sci-fi horror film based on a book. But I'm just are, looking at this life of Chuck, and I enjoy this cast so much already. Got Matthew Lillard in there. Got a little more Rahu Kohli, of course. You got Harvey Guillen, Guillermo from What We Do in the Shadows. You got a little, what's his name? Chiwetel Ejiofor. It's a good cast. I don't even know what this is about, but I'm already in. Yeah, that does sound really cool. Yeah. And then, of course, some of the usuals. Yeah. Usual suspects. But yeah, so oh, those Karen are, Gillen. Karen Gillen, isn't it? Yeah, right. but those are the three projects he's got slated for Amazon is okay. those two movies and a and a TV series. But also that TV series can last, so. Yeah, that's true. But yes, I anything Mike Flanagan does, I, it's one of those where I'm just going to watch it. I'm going to watch it, whatever it is. All right, you got any more thoughts or any last thoughts or anything else about this here fall of the House of Usher? I think I'm good. So on that note, thank you guys for listening to this very special bonus episode of the Cinema Slayers podcast. 
Check us out on the internet at www.cinemaslayers.com. Uh, we are on Facebook at Cinema Slayers Podcast. We are on uh, threads and Instagram at Cinema underscore Slayers. We are Cinema Slayers Pod on TikTok. We are at Cinema Slayers Pod on YouTube. Uh, shout out to Plug Migo and Mundo Show for our theme song and logos, respectively. Uh, we would really appreciate it if you gave us a five-star rating and review in your podcast catcher of choice. Uh, just remember, tell your family, tell your friends, tell your friends' family, tell your family's friends, and most of all, tell those dear, dear sweet mothers because dear sweet mothers love. Rahu Kohli. It's the only answer. Humans love him. Yeah, that's that includes mothers. So, yes. I'm just saying everybody, not just mothers. Yeah. Yes. Agree. We here at the Simba Slayers podcast are all pro-slut, pro-Sydney, and pro-naked. Just remember, you are Knuff. And as I always in these TikToks, these YouTube videos, and this podcast, according to Justin, Moon Knight is the best picture winner. I'm going to tell you, Cinefans, now, even though it's the end of the episode, and you'll probably already know this at this point. Probably not doing video. Not going to edit that. Just going to throw it out there (laughs) with a blank thing because there would be video for other stuff. This can be, like, you know, bonus episodes, no video. Don't make me do extra work. Yeah, exactly. Also, you know, if if we don't have just the hilariousness of Jastin's face as we, like, roast him in the outro, it's not worth it. It's not worth it. Even though the other episode we're recording this week is also not having Jastin, so that one will have video. Yes. You just don't get to look at Jastin's ugly face, and that's according to Heather. (laughs) Oh, boy. So, Jastin, if you're listening to this, I am sorry that Heather said your face was ugly. <laughs> I did not say it. I didn't do it. She did. And if there's video, you could see her face right now of her just intensely being like, his face is ugly. Oh boy. I can tell you right now, I can see her face and she means it. <laughs> I'm out.